This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to part four of the Blue Monday Jim Majilton special. Um, it's day whatever, Jim. We've, been, <laughs> we've, sat, we've sat here a little while, you know, um, over lockdown. You, you coping okay? Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I had a bit of a brick wall last week. I was thinking, oh, this is, ne- this is never ending and everyone's in the same boat. But uh, no, I soon got over it. Uh, you know, there's a... A lot, lots going on at the moment uh, within the Irish Football Association. They're in search of a new manager, Sean. Just so you know. <laughs> and can you and, think of anyone? Yeah. <laughs> and we're still working with our kids. Our kids are online and they're doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, they've been excellent, you know. And the parents are loving us because we're giving their kids these uh, tasks to do every day, and they're uploading them, and we get a chance to see it. So no, still pretty active. Good stuff. What what are you missing the most? I as always, it's the banter. I miss the banter. I miss Sorry, I'm doing my best. I know. Listen, <laughs> more than that, jerk. You're doing more than your best. <laughs> no, it's it's the day to day interaction with people. I always miss that. So, and I and I like to wind people up, as you know, and I have fun, and I miss all that sort of thing. But uh, do you know what it's giving it, it? It's giving us all time out to reflect again and to really you know prioritize your list you know what's important to you and you find out that in these in these times more than anything you find out about yourself again and as i say i'm used to self-isolation uh (laughs) throughout my whole career so it's probably been a slightly easier for me i have to be honest has it given you time to to think about what your your next move would be in 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 football yeah, I think so. And again, like there is obviously a lot of talk around. Megal's just, just done a magnificent job with Northern Ireland and, and brought real credibility back to the association. You know, we're competitive now. We're competing to try and qualify for major tournaments, which is huge for us. So, uh, and there's again a lot of talk around me being linked to the job, which is very flattering. Again, and no, I want to stay in football, Sean. I really want to stay in football. I, I love my current job because you know I'm influencing young players. But again, I think that you know if an opportunity came up. Where I, you know, I, I get asked to go and, and manage a football club again. It certainly would interest me. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to have you back as a manager again. Um, which is quite apt for where we are with with, with part four. So we, we ended part three where where you retired as a as a player, um, and I, I think you I recall you saying in the last interview that you were being interviewed by Brenna Woolley about names in the that were being put in the in the ring for for the Ipswich job, and yeah. you thought. Potentially, you might consider that. So I was just wondered, you know, 
Was there any concern you had about not having time to recharge after having a, a, a long career as a player? Oh, well, most certainly, yeah, most certainly, uh, and especially my wife. <laughs> she wanted to take me out. But, no, I, as I've always said, I think I said to you, I've been focusing on the next stage of my career uh, for a very long time. And the focus was going always going to go into coaching or managing, preferably managing, uh, because I had limited experience as a coach. Uh, but I knew I could deal with players, I knew I could deal with uh, chief executives, I knew I could deal with chairmen. So, again, that people person to me, you know, I, I felt very relaxed. Uh, I just wanted the opportunity to go through an interview process. It was as, honestly, it was as simple as that. And and Derek Bowden and David Sheepshanks both agreed, which, again, was tremendous of them. They didn't have to. They're, obviously, Joe Leaven was a major surprise for everyone. So they were in the middle of trying to find a new manager. And Brenner's asking, I'm thinking, that I might throw my name in the hat here. Why not? You know, stranger things have happened. <laughs> so, you... yeah, that whole process, that was quite a surreal experience. And, you know, I turned up to, a, if you like, a, a, a bogus interview uh, with Derek and, and David. And I don't think they took me too seriously. I think they were dressed in Panama hats and, you know, cocktails. And I was pretty serious. And anyway, listen, that whole process was just fantastic. I loved it. I was, I was loving the pressure cooker situation. Obviously, they were fantastic name feeling for the football club. And that was grand. That was great. And as I said, I was still preparing to leave. Pickford were at the door. I was trying to, you know, uh, play the waiting game. And uh, I managed then to put down my thoughts on how I would like a football club to be run. I came up with a nine-point plan around the club culture, around scouting, player acquisition, about season planning, about even the physio room and the gym and the dressing rooms and all these thoughts. Trevor Curtin was brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, once I got in the job, probably should save it, but it's it's quite up now. Yeah, he said, you know, I watched Bobby Robson's uh, documentary the other night. And I'm blown away by it. I was just, yeah. again, I'd seen it, but I'm just blown away by him, the person. But I was talking about changing rooms, the changing rooms, getting the changing rooms for the, the away changing. And, and Big Trev would turn around and say, yeah, yeah. Is that when we won the European uh, Cup Winners' Cup and and finished second in the league with that group of players and the dressing room was still down there? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, Trevor. Yeah, that was a very successful period. And we won the league and, you know, with Sir Alf and, yeah, yeah, I'm changing the changing rooms, so just get on board, right? Because <laughs> I am fed up having to walk by the away changing room from our physio room to get to our home dressing room. So all those sorts of things were my already in my head, so... Uh, I had plans, I had thoughts, and then I got the opportunity. And the opportunity, you know, when it came down to the final three, I thought, oh, I could be in with a wee shout here. I definitely am. I'm, I'm coming fast along the uh, the outside wheel here, or the inside wheel. So, yeah, I was, uh, uh, it was, it was a very exciting time, I have to say. Who did you speak to for for a bit of advice in the in the game when you were going for the interview? A lot of people, a lot of a lot of people that had, that had come to know, there were ex managers thrown into the hat, uh, ex players, you know, and players who had made that change. And I was one. Michael O'Neill was another one, you know, uh, and they were just giving me a little heads up and helping me actually with presentations. You know, it was the first real PowerPoint presentation I'd ever created, and 
conducted and actually presented. So all this was was all new to me. You know, albeit I was starting my coaching badges and I was, you know, I was very much IT literate, uh, but I still wanted, it was, the, it was the excitement. Honestly, it was the excitement. I was saying, do I want another pre-season? I wouldn't mind standing there as a manager in the pre-season, but, you know, so, uh, so anyway, all them things kind of way happened uh, in a, in a very quick succession. So there wasn't time really to reflect. And I said, I'm not really that type of a reflector anyway, I tend to want to get the next stage, the next stage, always hungry for something else, you know? So this was the next stage. So um, how, how did the interview go then? So they're, they're there with their Panama hats and I kind of see you standing there with a, with a clicker and, and slide effects on a PowerPoint. Yeah. No, I kind of stormed out. I have to be honest, I kind of took it pretty serious. I wasn't happy. They were in holiday mode and I was in business mode. Uh, and then there was a kind of way, uh, a few phone calls here and there, and right, okay, let's, let's, he's serious. This mad Irish man's actually serious here. Let's put him through it. So we kind of way then set up another one. Uh, and every day there was speculation, managers being linked with the club, but I was pretty much focused how I would prepare, you know, shirt and tie, briefcase, plan, right? This is the plan. This is the plan. This is what I see. And then it got to, it got to the final three. I think it was Colin Calderwood, myself, and Nigel Pearson. I think it was the final three, and we had to get the Liverpool Street, and then uh, we were going to be met at Liverpool Street and told the destination. Right, so I'm thinking this is James Bond. So I had John Pickers with me, who was our analyst. He was more nervous than me. I had to calm him down. <laughs> so he was he had set up, he had helped with a lot of the work. So uh, obviously our youth team had had a fantastic season, and they won the youth cup and a lot of talk was around them and who was emerging from that. Garvin was going to emerge, Danny to maybe a lesser extent. Chris Casement was emerging, you know, Supps was emerging, you know, uh, and others. So uh, there was a lot of talk around that and I was doing a lot of work around that too. And so I got, I got the Liverpool State. I got met by uh, a person, I forget who it was, and I was told the destination and I had to wait in the room. German came in and said hello and I walked in. It was half the moon, I'll never forget it half moon and they were all there so 13 members of the board including holly uh uh 12 or 13 13 i think and they were all there waiting in anticipation i set up the uh set up the powerpoint and john was asked to leave and i came away went oh john's being asked to leave have i got my clicker is that working and then so, so, so i got boom press and then away i went so i had a plan uh around i'd say in season premium. I've got actually got bits and pieces written down. So the youth development, medical department facilities, uh, just the whole and, and the culture of the football club. You know, Joe had done a remarkable job uh, getting us competitive again. We obviously had a very successful George Burley years, but again, it was just the identity of the club and what the club meant to the supporters. And that meant uh, and what it meant to me as a player. And obviously, then it came down to the players. You know, there wasn't going to be a massive budget. So the youth, that youth team was always going to be quite significant to anybody who was coming in. So uh, that was an important aspect of my presentation too. How did you feel when they, when they, what was it, a phone call or an email to, to say that I you was, the job? I was in Benel, Benel Madina or Benel Medina, whatever way. And some, some number two, uh, he and I were on the beach and we were messing about waiting on uh, wife and some son number one who always took the longest to get ready. So we're ready, we're about to go for dinner. 
And I there wasn't a timeline on it. You know, I wasn't sure. I obviously made everyone aware I was going on holidays. And that was our, you know, destination. We used to go, we still go. Uh, and uh, so me and, me and uh, Ryan are messing about with the ball. I get a phone call. I'm looking out. And the chairman, as only the chairman can do, well, how are you? I said, I'm actually playing football on the beach with my son. And he says, oh, shock, horror, you by the ball. So I went, I know. So I can't do it without it. He went, well, do you think you could do it with a ball for the next few years? And I went, well, what do you mean? He says, are you sitting down? I went, no. And he, I said, but listen, if I faint, I'll be okay because there's plenty of sand around me. He said, well, you're, you're now uh, unofficially until we make it official, the new manager of, of Ipswich Town. So that just went, oh, sword, my heart sword, my boy. Ryan is doing a jig, doing a jig. He's loving it, me and him are going. So I, I walks, down walks Glenn and Adam, and, and I said, you won't believe I've just got the job, I've got the job. She went, what? Pickford is at the door, we're going back to Liverpool. I went, you can go back to Liverpool. And if you want to take them to, take them with you. I'm heading straight to Portman Road. I am nothing's going to stop me. You're here. And I said, I don't know how long you're going to be here, but you're staying and we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to be the manager of the, the football club. So that was it, mate. So it was really special. I still remember it to this day and the boys do. And uh, I think one boy was happy and the other was not so happy because he was, he was going back in the big school. I didn't. No, see you later. Have boots, will travel. So it was the fifth of June when you were announced as, as town manager. Can you can you take us through that that day? The only bit that I remember is when you sat on the chair. And yeah. The chair was really low. You were Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, yeah. It was again. Do you know what? I was I was nervous. I was definitely nervous, but good nerves. Uh, very excited, and uh, and and was surrounded by people who were genuinely very pleased for me. I could feel that, you know, and. Our press genuinely uh, seemed pleased, uh, and there was a real good feel factor within the within the building that day. Uh, I had appointed Brian as assistant manager. I know we talked that. I, I, I and I had Charlie Woods, who was coming in as an assistant uh, with great experience. Both had unbelievable experience at the football club, so I kind of like twisted Brian's arm to come out of development into performance, basically. But it was always going to be the link between our academy and our and our professional staff, our first team change room, which I felt was very, very important, obviously because of on the back of the youth team as well. So, no, there was genuine excitement and the press kind of way, the day kind of way flowed. Uh, I think Brenner was more shocked than anyone. Uh, <laughs> so, there, again, there was genuine excitement. I felt it and I did a few video interviews and went, were very positive. But, again, the Ipswich public were... Uh, you know, they, they were excited for me, but they wanted to know what the plan was. You know, this is Ipswich Town Football Club. It's all well and good, and zippity doo da. Jim's here. Jim's now, he's now put a lot at stake here because the player, well, you know, he, he'll be judged as a player. You know, I was judged as a player, and I was putting that on the line to be judged as a manager, a rookie manager at 37, uh, going into a first job. That was, you know, and, and that was, again, the fearlessness of me and the determination to succeed in me. And it was a throwback to when I left Northern Ireland as a 16-year-old boy going to Liverpool. 
Well, then I'd gone on this 20-year playing career. Now to put it all on the line as a manager with a club that I adored and with a, you know, and, uh, with a group of supporters who had, uh, you know, a real fondness for me too. So, but that was all going to be put on the line. I wanted to be judged. I wanted to be judged from day one. I'm not one of them that sit back and go, oh, well, you know, give me a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, I wanted to be judged. I didn't want to be judged so harshly at times uh, towards the end. But again, that's the nature of the beast. That was just the way it ended. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll get to that bit <laughs> later on. Um, obviously, as a, as a player, you, you've got freedom to play and you, your agents are dealing with your, your contracts and transfers and stuff like that. How much knowledge did you already have in regard to transfers and contracts? And to what extent is it learned on the job as you go in, in your role as manager? Not a great deal, because the only dealings I would have done with contracts was my own, my own contract. And if other players had come to me, so over the years, players have come to me, mostly young, younger players. So I would give them instructions to ask for this, to ask for that, or if they ever wanted me to go in and speak on their behalf to the manager, I would. So I had limited experience in that field, but I knew lots of agents, lots of agents. I could pick the phone up to lots of agents, uh, and through twenty years, you tend to build up uh, a a link, a network of. Uh, of agents and a network of coaches and a network of, of managers that you could pick the phone up to. So, again, I had no problems with that. I didn't feel insecure about that at all. I just knew that, obviously, once the word got out, managers were there. Managers want to protect managers, you know, and, and, and they want to help you. I've always found that. And if I didn't know something, I had no problem picking up a phone to, to Bobby, for example, who was incredible for me. Or other managers who were, you know, as equally as important to me, Brand Horton's of this world were equally as important to me. So, no, there was no, I didn't have a great deal, but you learn very quickly on the job. And I had great support in the chairman and Derek. They were fantastic support. And, and the whole finance team, Andrew, was brilliant as well. So I had no problems with any of them. Do you, do you remember what Sir Bobby said to you? Be patient. Try and be patient. Uh, two faces. One for the players. And one for your staff, he said, because you have to, no matter what. And I heard it on his interview again. Who motivates the motivator? You know, it's difficult. So try and be positive. Always be positive. Coach when you're winning. Things that Joe had said to me. Coach when you're winning. Players, you know, they'll do anything if they're winning games of football. Try not to let negativity, you know, surround you. Don't be sending out those messages. Uh, but that was... That's well and good to a 37-year-old who had just finished playing, who'd still had football in his veins and, you know, the player in his veins, sorry, and and the emotion that is attached to that. So it was a quick, steep learning curve for me. In your first press conference, apart from uh, Bilbo Baggins, other, other phrases that came out were promotion and Premier League. Were you given a specific brief from David Sheepshanks at all? No, no, and, and that would have been unfair. Do you know, I think that we mentioned it simply because we wanted to give out hope. But you can't kid kidders, do you know what I mean? And you can't, you certainly couldn't kid, kid uh, the Ipswich public. You know, we, we finished where we finished because we lacked depth and we lacked quality. So to replace that, you need money. And there wasn't a great deal of money and you had to hold your hand up. Albeit, you weren't going to turn around and say that at your open press conference. By the way, we're skinned or we're, and we're not going to... Yeah, it was all about wheeling and dealing anyway. It was always going to be about that. You know, Alex Bruce was your first signing as a, as a free transfer. Alex did a great job for the club. 
you know, so, you know, that sort of, that sort of network. And, I, it, no, so it wasn't mentioned, but listen, the dream for me was to get us promoted and to get, and to be a Premier League manager. You know, that would have been, that's it. that was the ultimate goal, the ultimate dream. But as soon as, as soon as the press conference was over, I remember closing the door and was on the other man. Oh my goodness. You know, this is it. I, 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 you know, I'm sitting at the desk, at the desk where Joe and George had been and, and I always had, again, as I said, you very professional uh, relationships with both. Probably more personal with Joe than I was with George, which was fine. But that this was me now. I kept looking under the table to see if there was a rule book or there was a guide. But no, the only thing I got was the referees' reports. Joe's referee reports were super. Unbelievable. You know, I was quick-witted in the humour. Man, we were looking at one. Andy Durso. The, the, Andy Durso. Right? My mate Andy. And, and Joe's comments about Andy were, and Andy was a bit straight. He was okay, Andy was okay, but, and he was very straight. And Joe went, couldn't spot a fowl in a hen house. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. So I used it all the day. Could not spot a fowl in a hen house. And on that day, he was 100% right. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about Andy Durr. So yeah. we, all, we all have a view about him. Before um, any Jim Jilton team kicks a ball, did you have an idea of your sort of system or philosophy that your, your teams were going to play? Well, they were always going to play with the ball. They were always going to play with the ball and they were always going to try and play out from the back. And we were always going to, depending on personnel uh, and depending on the makeup of the team, we, we had two two plans, two systems. It was maybe a three-five-two or a 4 3, three or an adaptation of that with maybe a four four two with a diamond. So we were just looking at players. We were trying, trying to envisage who 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 were the strongest characters. Now I knew them all. Who's going to take the ball first? What are their strengths and weaknesses? There's you know, I I love this thing about Barcelona and the Tiki Taki and but if you haven't got if you're forcing players to do something that they're not particularly good at, it just seeps away at their confidence. And then all of a sudden they're losing games of football and then they're blaming you. Well, probably right, they're blaming you because the system doesn't suit the players. So I tried to get a system in my mind that I would want to play. Uh, Gavin Williams uh, was going to you know, play a more integral part to that as well because he was such a good footballer. Could we get him on the ball? Owen Garvin, you know, can we get him on the ball? Kind of weapons to passing over the Garves. Garves could hopefully have taken the game by the scruff of the neck, which he did in certain games. Uh, so... We had good footballers, but we just had to get the right plan. Are you influenced by any of the managers that you'd played under? Were you not attempted to go for a gung-ho Joe Royal sort of? No, definitely not, no. No, and again, because of Joe's upbringing in the game, because Joe was a, Joe was a very, very good player, but the focus was always playing it into the front man and play off the front man, regardless if it comes to midfield or not, as long as it's done with quality. Uh, so I wasn't no, it wasn't going to happen like that for me. Listen, there were at the end of the day there are times in any game of football where you have to go uh, back to front maybe earlier because midfield uh, players in the opposition are pressing uh, the game, you know, and you have to flip it into your front man who gets hold of it and brings in the play. There was none better than Pablo. The quicker you got the ball into Pablo, who secured the ball for you and brought other people into the game, the better. So, no, I wasn't averse to it. It just wasn't the way I wanted to go because, again, my upbringing at Liverpool was to play. But, again, it was to make good decisions. Clear your, clear your lines, win your headers, win your second ball, 
that's not dirty words in football. That's just the game. And you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to roll your sleeves up and compete. Most, most important game, uh, the most important thing in football is competing and, and aggression. There are many different forms of aggression. It's, a, it's a, the open aggression that we see and people are clapping. It's the headers, it's the tackles, you know, all these sorts of things. But there's the aggression in terms of movement and your running and the physical aspects of that. And also getting on the ball, demanding the ball, you know, and that was always uh, something that it stood, you know, stuck by me throughout my career. I always tried to get myself in a position to receive the ball and didn't hide. So I was looking at characters and, and personnel uh, to really develop that at the club. You got fantastic support in your, your first game uh, at, mm. at home to Crystal Palace. Um, which coincided with my daughter's first game at, at five. And I remember uh, being at that game and the crowd really supportive. How was it for you walking out as a manager instead oh, of walking out as a player? Oh, incredible. But the weight of the world was on your shoulders because <laughs> as a player, you're out there and you're going, just about me. This is solely about me. Have I prepared properly? Am I physically and mentally ready for the game? Well, as a manager, you're thinking about 27,000 people inside the stadium. You're thinking about the chairman and the board. You're thinking about all the people that have wished me well, the build-up of pre-season, your staff, hoping your staff are relaxed, you know, focused but relaxed, and most importantly, the players. Are the players ready? And certainly, they, on the day, they were certainly ready. Blistering hot as well. Nicky Forster. Was it Nicky? Nicky Forster gave us a lead, didn't he? And, yeah. Um, yeah, and then it just didn't happen for us on the day. And it was kind of a system. It was kind of a the way the first two months came away went for us. Well, you, you lost uh, your first three in the league, but then in the next six, you win four and drew uh, drew two. And then we see new faces like Dan Harding, Alex Bruce, John Macken, and a, a young Mark Noble come into your yeah. team. Can you talk to me about building a team and, and, and those first few games in, a, in, a, in the dugout? It was, it, was, it was surreal because I kept thinking, should I be in the stand watching? And it was... I, because I, I always saw myself with watching at least 45 minutes, you know, and allowing Steve Foley, great experience, and Brian, great experience, to deal with that. And, and, the, and for me, watching it above gives you a better picture of it, especially when you're at eye level at, at the start. So I was mixed about that too. Uh, and, and again, the walk from our boardroom down to the, down to the changing gives you time to reflect and time then to deliver a message. First five minutes after, uh, at half time, emotions can be running high with players or they're just get, you know, taking stock of what had happened, depending on what the result was. So, uh, and it was given them as a five minutes and I always broke it down. So five minutes with me and then five minutes with the staff quietly, maybe, you know, staff would be speaking done one-to-ones. So that's kind of way the plan for me was always set like that. Five minutes for the player, physio, five minutes for me, five minutes is enough. Sometimes it wasn't, but, um, and then allowing your senior staff then to have little conversations because we always had a chat before I actually went in. What's your thoughts? What's your thoughts? Okay, great. We're all on the same page here. Okay, let's go. So building the team was a, was essentially around footballers. We wanted football. I, I understood the expectation levels at the football club. Uh, and I was trying to get as many footballers into the team as we possibly could. Again, people who demanded the ball, people who weren't, uh, who who wouldn't be intimidated, uh, but rather inspired by it. And Noble was one, always wanted the ball. I loved him. I uh, knew him as a kid, and he, and I'm so pleased that he's going on to have a career. Mackin was the same. Mackin at, at 
the height of John Macken was some player, but again, I knew he'd give us experience and calmness, and uh, and that was important. And I knew Jason would deliver as well. You know, Jason was never going to shirk for any. Jason was a tremendous captain for me too. So it was always trying to get as many footballers in the team as I could. So at, at the midpoint town of the season, town of 15th, and we're, we're eight points off the playoffs. So if we focus on the, the highlights of the season, uh, a 5-0 win over Luton with a, an Alan Lee hat-trick and an East Anglian derby success at your first attempt uh, with a future Derby Day specialist scoring twice in a 3-1 win. How, how special were those first managerial triumphs and, and how were you finding the transition? The transition was fine for me. It was more difficult for the players. As I said, I'd always had this fixation going into the other side and it was more difficult because uh, the boys and players still saw me probably as their, as their mate or not uh, and for me then to be their boss they came away took them a little bit of time it was I didn't mind that you know people get caught up with gaffer and boss and they were still called me Jim and I was quite happy with that and you was going to take time you know, it, it didn't bother me in the least that they didn't say, Gaffer, can we do this or do that? I was still gym to them. That was grand. And then they, slowly but surely, it was Gaffer, boss, how are you? Yeah, good morning. It's like, I always try to keep good open lines of communication. I'm still the same person. And, and you know, pressure, it was a different type of pressure for me because it was a collective pressure instead of the individual pressure. And those early months, I probably took an awful lot on board. I took an awful lot uh, on upon myself. And uh, it was readjustment. It was just complete readjustment. Mindset readjustment. Uh, time management readjustment. And staff readjustment. Staff knew me as the player. Now I'm involved. I'm getting an insight into the staff. I'm seeing I'm working with the staff. I'd set up a schedule for the staff. I'd set up meetings for the staff. They're all about like, you know, I want to discuss everyday players. I want to discuss where they are, uh, what they're up to, right? And, uh, and and in terms of everything, you know, so I got to know all the players, their waves. I, I studied, uh, you know, I wanted to know kids. I wanted to know everything about them. So I did a lot of work behind the scenes on that. And uh, I think that helped. So the 3-1 the, the one, one, one win against Norwich. Yeah. Um, how, how, did that, how did that feel? That was, that was pretty amazing. Danny came off the bench, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so that morning, I get a phone call from Matt Bayard, right? Adam's, and, and, and Danny's telling everyone he's not fit. So I live five minutes away from the, chain, the, uh, the training ground. I whizzed around. And I went, what's up with you? <laughs> and he's like, ah. <laughs> I went, you're not fit? You seemed all right yesterday. And, and Matt said, medically, he was fine. Okay, clinically, he was fine. So mentally, I went, okay, Dan, here's the thing. Be there at two o'clock. We're playing Norwich, and you're sitting on the bench, son. So you can limp to your car, and you can limp on the pitch. But you, but listen, stranger things have happened. I remember saying, stranger things have happened. You could be a hero today, lo and behold. There so I go. got him off that bench and said, right, get your backside to Portman Road, Rapido. Lazar <laughs> like Lazarus. Oh, yeah. Right. So in, in the FA Cup third round, you come up against Chester City and their their 23-year-old yeah. forward, John Walters. Yeah. The story says that you, you go on to sign John based upon the, the, the cup ties. Yeah. Can you tell us about how this played out and whether Walters was your greatest discovery as Ipswich manager? 
Well, he's probably he's, he's up there, isn't he? John has to be because John. And the thing about John, if you do due diligence in John, he had wonderful pedigree. You know, from uh, from Blackburn to Bolton, Premier League clubs to Hull, uh, and successive managers raved about him. And John was going personal stuff with family at the time too. John murdered murdered uh, DeVos and I think Alex on the day. Maybe even been banned that day uh, on on one of them. But right away. They were talking about the other centre forward, and I keep forgetting who that was, the Chester centre forward, and not talking about John. And it's the moment I saw John, I went, Player? So Charlie's in, Charlie's going, Player? Get him. I can Charlie. Let's find out about him. So I, I was actually up in Great Honor Street, and the deal was being done. And then I hit a snag, 11th, you know, 11th hour snag. I'm going, Oh, what's going on? So I'm, I'm jumping on a train back from Liverpool Street to get the deal done. Charlie meets me. Says, listen, there's you know one or two little things you just need to sort out, John. And so I'm where is he? So he was in the boardroom, trying in the boardroom, had a conversation with him, said, Right, we're gonna do this, aren't we? Yeah, we're gonna do this. Boom, got it done. And then John never held back. All we did was give John a platform and give him the confidence. Shifting John to wide areas when we shifted him, he was he, he could be unplayable there. And he would have been an, he was a nightmare for fullbacks. Balls in the opposite side. Fullbacks kind of way half turned seeing John. But anything stood up far post for John. John's going to win the header, and he scored it. He scored goals coming in off the lane, and and he again, unbelievable attitude, low maintenance, high output. John, type of player you want, type of player you want at your football club, and he was such a well well respected lad, and I enjoyed a great relationship with him, and uh, and I'm glad he had a, a great career. We spoke about you being so demanding on the pitch in, in training and, and leading by example. Did you have to think about your fiery nature? I want to call it that in terms of man management at any point. Yeah, 100%. And again, guided by staff. You know, there were times when I wanted to be there 24-7. At times, Brian and Steve said, take, relax, we'll take training. You know, and I hear all this rubbish about training was excellent. Training was excellent. We prided ourselves every week. Every day. You know, I heard, oh, the training was nice and the players did Players loved it. Players loved it because it was everything was with the ball. Ball and fitness. And that's where you get it, right? And it was all the things that they liked. And I always had I always had a fantastic relationship with Jason. I brought Jason into team meetings. Now, you let Jason go, he's worse than me. He's automatic guns. So we had to keep him in check and in, in a very respectful way. But obviously, right, tell me the mood in the camp. What's going on? Jason would, Jason would again... He's an intellectual boy, and he would come back, and we'd have conversations. So I was kind of way that was the link to the change room. So, uh, yeah, I had to keep things in check at times because I actually had to stop watching warm ups. Tell you that before a game, I saw people do things in warm ups, and again, warm ups are very, very personal. I hate this group warm up; it just drives me insane. But I had to walk in. I used to watch the stations and I'd think, "Oh, he's going to have a stinker today." I could just smell it, but I was like that as a player. I could tell by little things. Their tell signs. They couldn't have been poker players. I'd have cleaned them out, poker players. But I used to go and go, oh, look, look at his standards in, in the warm-up. You know what I mean? He keeps giving the thing away in the warm-up. So I said, Jim, relax, will you? The game's about to kick off. Doesn't matter what he does in the warm-up. You know, it's what matters when he blows the whistle at three. But again, standards, standards, standards. Always try to raise the standards of the players and and try and lead by example. And I had some leaders in the pack who were helping with that too. 
Fantastic. Um, it's March 2007 when your name is first linked with a top job at the, the IFA as a potential successor to Laurie Sanchez. Mm. Um, did you have any serious thoughts about a, an international job at this stage of your career? No, uh, because I was a rookie and more ways than one. Very clean behind the ears. Had an experience. Had experience, a few lows and a few losses. Uh, but no, I am very passionate about Northern Ireland and more than anything, I wouldn't have wanted to let them let them down. Uh, and secondly, I had a massive job, club job to consider. And again, I was at the start of it and there was never serious consideration with it. Uh, and, now, and, that's, and that's a fact. Maybe there will become a time in the future when it might just be the right time for you to get the job. Um, <laughs> You end the season with a nice run of one, one, in, one defeat in eight to end the season. And that run includes that extraordinary game at Ellen Road uh, where Leeds were facing relegation yeah. and Alan Lee uh, scores a, an, an 88th minute equaliser. Yeah. Um, you say on BBC, and I quote, uh, it was a shambolic but brave decision to come back out. This one should have been called off. Yeah, can you take us through those events and how scary it was? And, and did you refuse to go back out? No, I didn't. I can't remember refusing to go back out. I, th I think because Gus Poyet was his, uh, Dennis's assistant as well, and we were having a conversation. I think we were fearful of the players, you know, and, and I have huge respect for Leeds United. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic football club, and I really do hope they, go, they get promoted. I really do. They deserve to be in the top division. But that, it kind of way, was a little bit scary, and you were, and again, protected in the players. And I wasn't sure what was going to kick off. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. It would only have taken one fan to do something. or And he didn't want that. So, uh, so anyway, the decision was, right, we go. And then we played it. And then it was done. But it was a sad day. A real sad day. Because when I played against the Leeds United teams, uh, they were great, great teams. Do you know what I mean? The McAllisters, the Strackens, the Speeds, you know, the Baddies. Some say, really top, top side. So it was a, it was a very sad day, I have to say. Uh, a number of the Ipswich fans went home with more money than they than they went with with all of the two P's and ten P's thrown at them in the, in the away end. I think. Yeah. Um, so the season ends with Town finishing fourteenth. What was your what was your feeling your first season? I think it was where we deserved to finish. You know, you can't get away from that. I think there was a, a huge, uh, you know. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. 
NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Settling down, uh, there was a, like it was a major sea change for everybody. People were getting used to me, I was getting used to them. There was a different way of doing things around the football, excuse me, around the football club. Um, I was trying to put my stamp on it, my personality on the on the club, on the on the staff, on the players. So I think 14th was probably right. And again, reflection. Where do we go? How do we strengthen? What's going to happen next? Pre-season had to be sorted. Players had to be talked to. Uh, and there was lots, lots, lots to do. I learned a great deal. Claire Emerson, who now is Claire Westlake, was a huge help to me as well in those early days. Uh, Francine came in, who, who Claire Kenaway uh, handed the reins over, and you know Charlie was a great help. The two guards helped me enormously around the football club. German was a great help. Derek was a great help. Uh, board meetings were again an eye opener for me, sitting in and in, in uh, budget meetings. So it was all new to me, and it, it was something I embraced. I really, I loved it. I actually loved it, you know, and. I knew it was tough. It was going to be getting even tougher. Uh, but first season reflection was great. Does the work actually stop? Because, I mean, obviously, as a player, you, you, you disappear. and So, you, were you working during the, the whole yeah. season? Yeah, 24-7. 24-7. You may get a couple of weeks where you, you – but you don't – you never have your phone out of your hand. You're still waiting. You're still anxious. You're still waiting for phone calls. You've got players on radars. You're trying to talk to agents. You don't really switch off, no. So 2007-8 starts with a 4-1 win at home to Sheffield Wednesday. Neil, Neil Alexander debuting in, in goal after a free transfer. And it's the return of Tommy Miller and, and Pablo Canago. Talk to me about the view that you should never go back. Yeah, I toyed with it. I fought with it. I wrestled with it so much. Uh, but we needed quality. And I knew both would give me quality. And I knew they had an identity with the club. And I knew that I had a relationship with the fans. So, and I knew there's still a lot in the locker. And, you know, and more importantly, they were going to send, you know, uh, a message to the dressing room. And they played at the height of our fame too, you know, Premier League. Uh, you know, and I just felt that we needed that stability and that calmness. And both were, you know, both were really good players. Picking up on Tommy, Roy Keane mentions the transfer in, he, in his book. Yeah. What, what, what's your view? It was, we were trying to get Tommy over the line. Then Subs and Lewis, uh, Price, both got injured. And I was looking for a goalkeeper, screaming, searching. So Tommy's deal was put on hold. And the chairman had been speaking to Nal, Quinn. And then Nal just said, tell Tim just to give Roy, Roy a, a call, just reassure him it's going to happen. So it was late. Uh, it was really late. And I just I just completed Mike Pollock for one game. And it was an orange game. So on the eve of that, 
So I rang Roy, and Roy was in the car. I said, Roy, listen, uh, I have a major problem here. And before he even got problem, like he went on in the one. You're this, you're that, you're the, you were like that as a player. You were. I went, what do you, what do you, Roy? It's a derby. You call that a derby? You call that a derby? <laughs> so, yeah, I do because it's it is a derby and it's important to us. And both goalkeepers are injured. I need a goalkeeper, and that brings me up to five loanees, I think, at the time. So we have. Sorry, I'll do the deal. I promise you, the deal will get done. But it was just right. So, and then he got it back. In the end, I just had enough, and I went for him. And then it was just a st- it was a Mexican standoff that was just ran, 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 and told him where to go. He told me where to go. No problem. See you later. Boom. And I thought he'd be more, uh, you know, m- more understanding, but he wasn't. He just went jugular, as only Roy could do. And I don't think I've ever seen him uh, since. Although he got very comfy in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you consider this your side now? After a year of being in charge, yeah, I, I can see lots of good characteristics about it, and uh, and we were still developing that mindset. I think they, I think every player that ever comes to Ipswich Town actually doesn't understand the size of the club. I was the same. I knew the history, you know, but I ne- never really understood. Uh, again, right, the club's reputation away from Suffolk. You know, every time we walked in Ipswich Town, it was kind of where the favourite second team. I didn't really get that until I was in because I was so focused on getting back in the Premier League. Well, I think they understood that now. And I understand, and, and you know, I was developing a thing with the chairman and it was such a way thing. It was a code of conduct. It was how we, you know, how we're placed in a game, how we want. It's a li- it was a living, breathing document. It wasn't just something that was just going to be put to print. I've actually still got it. Uh, but it was, it was, it, this is, this is our life. This is the way it should be. This is our, how you conduct yourself. This is the way you walk around this building, right? And everybody bought into it. And, you know, we were still developing that. So at home, you start the season with a sensational nine-game winning streak. Um, but winning away from home is a bit of a struggle. And I think it's about the 14th attempt. How can you be the top of the home form and, you know, bottom of the yeah. away form table? I, it, it was, it was mind-boggling. And, and then because we were so fluent and so fluid and so dynamic, and looked like every time we went on an attack at home, we were going to score. We just were so irresistible. Do you know what I mean? Away from home, we we change, we tried to change things. We tried to even you know we were we were looking at you know hotels. We were everything goes through your mind. And then in the end, it, it, it it's about there was a flaw. There had to be a flaw in characters. There had to be a flaw in personalities. So we we were kept looking at them. We kept looking at them as individuals. You know, we got we had group meetings. We spoke to them. Again, we handed over responsibility to the players. You know, what's going on? Is it the system? Is it this? Is it that? Nobody had an answer. We kept the consistently where we were consistent in our selection. I can't remember all. I think there was a period where we kind of way were throwing him in or throwing him in, and you know, maybe we just had to lay in reflection and again in reflection, just a bit more continuity, and they may have come, but. Uh, though we, we just couldn't put a finger on it. It was it was it was very depressing, I can tell you. The journeys home were very depressing. I can imagine. Um first time this guy is gonna get a mention, but uh uh the multimillionaire businessman Marcus Evans, there's stories that he's interested in buying the club. What what were you told about this potential new owner? Just that. 
exactly just as you said it. And the board were working extremely hard behind the scenes. There was a lot going on. I was privy to some, but not all. Uh, I knew that, uh, like anything, once once someone comes into the radar, I did a little bit of homework on Marcus. I had a little dossier on Marcus and kept thinking, well, what what type of man is he? Yeah. But he was so elusive, as you know. You know, So whatever I could dig out was probably what everybody else was digging out about him. But no, still focused on the job. And that was kind of way communicated to me by the, the, the fantastic board and the chairman and, and the C, chief executive. Just focus on the job, Jim. Keep focused on the job. Keep the players focused on the job. Again, it's difficult because social media is mad and there was a lot of coverage. You must have been doing something right because in November 2007, you and Brian signed two-year two year deal contracts, yeah. which will take you to the end of 2010. Uh, what was your take on this? And was Marcus Evans involved at all in these negotiations? Yeah, he was. He was spoken, uh, again, that was alluded to me through Derek. Derek had said, no, uh, he's happy with the, the club. He's happy with uh, the team, the staff. And uh, and then I met him. I went I went to his house in London. Very gained secret service. It was pick up, drop off. You know, here's his house. Security guard uh, came to meet me. Went in. And I found him a, a lovely host. A very, you know, he admitted that his football knowledge was limited, right? But he was open and very good listener. I told him all about me, uh, very honest. Told him my background, told him where I thought the club should be, told him the type of player we needed. And a few hours, absolutely flew in. As I say, I found him very hospitable, very gracious, and away I went. And he said, listen, good luck in the job. And away I went, and that was good enough for me. So, uh, again, delighted to have signed, uh, delighted for Brian, and away we went to go, go and focus on the job again. So you say that, obviously, he acknowledged that he had, you know, limited football knowledge. So did he, did he immediately make his plans and expectations clear at that point? Well, if you're buying a football club and, and you're in that bracket, and you're going to hand over a pot of money. You're hoping the pot of money is going to be well spent. And you hope you're going to be competitive. So, by doing so, the next step for us is Premier League. Now, I didn't put that weight of expectation on us. That was, again, generated in iCloud and around the terraces and around Suffolk and more and around the leagues. You know, yeah. I remember an instance, Sheffield United, Kevin Blackwell put something in his, his, uh, his uh, what do you call it, uh, team sheet uh, or is you know the the magazine the program books. notes yeah yeah so my head went blanker I, I, I looked at him expectation levels this that and the other manager talking about another man pots of money but they win the game I, I went through him like a dose of salts honest to god I went what are you doing honestly you've enough when you play don't you be worried about me or spending my money you mind your own business don't you ever have been talking about my football club again ever ever and he was kind of way no, no, you leave that out. You no need to do that. I think you're out of order. And then there was a few apologies thrown about. So, so again, around the around the around the division, there was a lot of talk. So more pressure. Uh, but again, I chose to ignore it. I just chose to deal with the players and uh, try and get the very best out of them. I must admit, I'm I'm ashamed to put my hand up along with about two other thousand Ipswich Town fans who were waving our twenty pound notes at Carra Road um, when he took over. Um, but we'll move on from that. 
<laughs> so basically, we were we were broke from you know from administration, you know, going to administration until Marcus Evans took over. Yeah. And then suddenly we've got you know loads of money to spend, yeah. and the, you're presumably you know the profile of pro- player that you're looking at changes. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that first. Talk to me about that first transfer window. Uh, David Norris, uh, Valiche Zumalakoski, yeah. uh, Alan Quinn, and Stephen Bywater. Yeah, experience, quality. Uh, Wanted to bring a different take, rugged characters, do you know what I mean? Great experience, uh, could handle the pressure, the expectations. Uh, and I had very high hopes for all of them. So with, with any player, I used to sit them down and have a very strong conversation with them. I used to talk about my demands, the demands I would have, the demands I would put on them the demands I would expect them to carry out in the dressing room. Uh, and whatever happened in a dressing room, stayed in the dressing room. Players run dressing rooms. George never really got involved in the dressing room. Joe never got involved. We had personalities who dealt with the dressing room. So I was looking to develop that strong cord through the dressing room, a vocal cord, right? Everything would come to the captain, to me. But the, all these guys were, were leaders in their own right. So it was just bringing that, you know, level of quality uh, higher. So we go into Easter 2008 and you're, you're right in the mix. Shefki uh, returns and, and Danny Simpson coming on loan as well. Um, so there's only two defeats in the final 12 games, but six draws in those games mean that we miss out on the playoffs by one point. Yeah. So given how open the league was, and I think Stoke won the league with about, went up automatically with 79 points. Was mm. this a, an opportunity missed? Yeah, definitely with the players. Definitely with the players uh, who were got it, absolutely got it. Uh, I was too. I felt we had a chance. I felt that we got in the playoffs. We 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 would have a major say, and I felt that the players felt that too. The staff were smelling it. You know, I'd been around it before. You get, there was a smell of them. You knew that they. But again, a flaw. There was, there was a flaw, as it were, in our teams. You know, there was something just not quite right, something that was missing. And uh, maybe it was just an out-and-out goal scorer, potentially. You know, we were chasing one or two, didn't happen. Uh, but someone who could convert, convert the opportunities that we were creating, a lot of good players, a lot of good players, and the, and the blend in the, in the chain room was, was getting to where I actually wanted it. You know, it should be run by players, you know, and conducted by the manager you know, standing back and watching things happen. So we were getting there, but still wasn't quite right. Summer 2008 was a was a, a big turnover in players, was certainly a big recruitment drive. Um, Gareth McCauley, John Stead, Kevin Lisby, obviously you talked about goals there earlier, Richard Wright returns. Yeah. Tim Balkerstein, I think, paid for his own airfare yeah. to come over here. You got Ben Thatcher, uh, Ivan Campo and Maritz yeah. Boltz. Were you effectively trying to build a new sign for... The, the Mark Evans era now? Yeah, definitely. And again, you look at that great experience. Pim being the exception, we took a chance on Pim. And uh, and we liked Pim for large parts of it. Uh, but yeah, we were looking at we were looking at the group and I was moulding, you know, a group of senior players then. I felt very comfortable with the senior players and the, and they all had their own individual qualities and characteristics and flaws. Uh, but the dressing room was becoming more uh, solid more dependable and more uh, more quality. So 
And I thought for a championship season, we had enough in the locker to be really competitive. Uh, picking two of the names there. First of all, Ben Thatcher. He, mm-hmm. he came with a bit of baggage and perhaps yeah. wasn't seen by us fans as you know a player who would fit into the Ipswich way. Why, why did you consider him? Different. He was different. And we needed different. We needed steel. You know, we, we had, you know, and Ben Thatcher was an excellent footballer. People forget that. He had a wonderful left foot. And again, we gave him an opportunity to come. And it was, without being disrespectful, a last real swan song for him. When I spoke to Ben, Ben convinced me. Again, I need convincing. When I, it's okay recommending players and players coming. They need to convince me that, one, they're going to buy into what we're, we're selling, right? And two, have they still got the fire and the drive to really be competitive? And again, you reflect back on your own uh, opportunities and your own meetings and your own your own time with managers. I didn't have to sell anything to George. I just came with my boots, got into training, and from day one, expected standards. You know what I mean? And and it was up to me to deliver that. Well, it was exactly the same as the manager. As a manager, Ben, here's what I want from you. If you step this side of the lane, then obviously we're going to be in trouble. You and I, I don't want to be in trouble. I never want to have another conversation. It's the last conversation we'll ever have about this. Go in, use your experience, use your quality, get yourself super fit, and let's see where we can take this. We've got great experience in our team. And that was the kind of conversation. I didn't have any more real conversations with them. What attracted you to the two times champion, Champions League winner, Ivan Campo? <laughs> Just that. Uh, just again, his he was a he's a lovely, lovely man, and Big Sam gave him a rave review, and other players gave him rave reviews. Very quiet man, but very determined character. Just just loved his personality, loved his stamp, uh, his character. Uh, he was very popular. You know, I liked him a lot too. It was fitting him into the team. It was fitting in the, you know playing three at the back where I was wanting the edge towards you know. Because uh, he'd have taken the ball in any situation, it was just bravery, and I was looking for more bra- braver players. Uh, because I knew what was coming, I expected a bit of an onslaught uh, from not only our own supporters but other supporters, other teams, other managers, and uh, and I and, it, and no matter what, I I can't control once they step onto the park. You know, yes, you can make certain changes. But it's down to the player. And I wanted players who were big enough to take the responsibility. And he was certainly one of them. Uh, a couple of backroom changes as well. Andy Rhodes leaves as goalkeeping coach and uh, Simon Hunt joins as scout. What, why, what, what was the thinking about that? Just to freshen things up, uh, but also the long-term plan. Simon Hunt was coming in to have a real plan moving forward, to really take... You know, Marcus was doing, having lots of conversations with agents. Uh, agents were ringing him, obviously trying to sell as many players to him as he possibly could. So really to be that buffer, Simon to be that buffer between uh, me and Marcus to a large extent, right? He had great knowledge, both European and domestic. Uh, when I spoke to him, he had already had a, a spell here with George. So there was a, a, you know, he knew the club, he knew the quality, he knew what was the expectation levels of the club. Obviously that had risen with a, a new owner. But it kind of was a buffer. So we'd have regular meetings, regular conversations. He'd be traveling. We'd be then sitting down. Charlie was a great help to me too because of his major contacts. So we could pick uh, up lots of uh, 
lots of conversations with lots of managers. So there was that kind of way Charlie was dealing with a lot of that too, which again freed me off to do my job, which was the players, making sure the players were in a, in, in a good place. So, you know, Andy going was just, again, just to freshen things up. And Andy had a, a great time here. His son was a, a great lad. Uh, and it was just a case of making a change. And, and Andy respected that. It was difficult at first, obviously because of his boy, uh, Jordan. But uh, listen, Andy, Andy's worked in football ever since because of his, his quality. You, you mentioned Jordan Rhodes. Um, in his last season with the club, uh, you'd sent him out on, on loan. Uh, yeah. When he came back, obviously Roy Keane then, then sold him. Yeah. Um, did you think that was the right path for him to go as a, as a player? I, I would have liked to throw him in, threw him in earlier, uh, but I just wanted him to have a little bit more experience, to understand the physicality needed in the league, uh, for him to get a real insight into uh, professional football. You know, it's okay sitting... And watching, it's all right having a dad who's had a, a successful career, but it's actually the doing. And I wanted him to have an opportunity to go out and play, score goals, then bring him back and throw him in, uh, especially around that dressing room. Uh, and the opportunity didn't present it, uh, as much, but I always had great faith in Jordan Rhodes. I always thought Jordan Rhodes was a goal scorer. Joe absolutely loved him. He, he smelled him a, a, a long, long time before we did, uh, but certainly a goal scorer and a major talent. In November 2008, you were linked with Herman Harrison. Mm. Uh, was there, you only close to close to signing your former teammate? I think it was conversations, but big Herman. Herman was always one that, you know, you'd get when, when it was, and most players are the same, when it's about you, you kind of get phone calls, phone calls, phone calls, and then you know that there are other irons in the fire. And it kind of way, Herman, we'd love you to come back to the club. One, can we afford you? Two, where are you mentally? Are you ready to come back? Would you come back? You know, I want to have a conversation with you. So there was conversation around that, but nothing. I didn't think we were ever in a real position to get him. No. Um, in fact, you were linked with loads of players. Um, yeah. My wife's asked me for the last two nights what I've been doing. I've been writing down the names of players that you were linked with. There were so Brilliant. many. But I wanted to play a little game with you called uh, Deal or No Deal. And you can just yes. say, if, if the deal was was close um, and there's some great players here so we'll start off with Andy Carroll no day David Nugent day do you remember you told him to sod off on Radio Suffolk I did I and really what, did and was that the end of the deal at that point he made you know again with players it's difficult because they're obviously getting an agent or influence them thought we had him you know and it didn't happen <laughs> uh, Emil Penza. Deal, uh, but then agent got silly and uh, no deal. Ian Hart. Deal, conversations, uh, but again, uh, Peter Dyke. Jermaine Beckford. No deal. Andy Gray. No deal. Lauren Robert. Deal, and Charlie was so influential in that. Uh, we thought he had him, and then uh, I think reality bit for him. <laughs> but no, very close, uh, but no. And the, and the last one, uh, Wes Houlihan. Wes Houlihan? No, I can't remember that one, no. 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 That would have been a good one. There was one or two others. Oh, I'll tell you, there's a bit, is it, tell, tell us about um, Shola Amiobi. Yeah, 
I was a major fan. I just thought he was going to be he was going to be the, the missing piece first. Uh, but he had inj- injury problems, obviously well documented injury problems. And again, when you're spending someone else's money, you have to make sure that it's it's done properly. So we, he had a, an exhaustive uh, medical, and culminating in one or two little things that we didn't think uh, was going to that that we thought was going to impede and potentially. You know, if you're going to spend again that sort of money, you want to make sure that you're going to play a certain amount of games. So, uh, so that was so. But a, what a great lad! I had a great relationship with his agent. He spent a few days down here. Charlie was going to strangle me. Charlie wanted to, to kill me because obviously he knew Shola through his Newcastle days with Sir Bobby. So in the end, it didn't happen. So disappointed in that one. Uh, absolutely disappointed because again, I thought uh, such an imposing character. And uh, player that he would have given his real presence. There are so many, so I'll move on. We'll be here all night going through the names. Um, so it's now the, the middle of December 2008. Tanner in 12th spot, eight wins, seven draws, and eight defeats. Given the new regime at the club, were you starting to feel the, the heat in the kitchen? Yeah, because consistency, when you have that sort of quality and experience, you, you, I expected greater consistency. And performances and greater consistency and performance again without putting any pressure on the players they they were good enough to, to have a better record than that so it was finding the balance and it was always constantly trying to find that balance within the group so yeah i wasn't happy how, how does it feel when you when you're a manager in a job and the press are reporting the, the the names of Alan Kerbishley, Neil Warnock, Tony Adams as well. We're all linked to the job when you're in yeah. it. How, how do you cope with that? You kind of wait. I, I dismiss it uh, because they're not in the job. I'm in the job. So no matter what a paper writes, I'm still in the job. So they can sort off. So again, my job was to get the players, finding that balance within the players. There was never, I never felt any negativity within the dressing room. I didn't feel any negativity on the training pitch. I kind of way was in a better position mentally in the job. I was handing trust over to staff, which was difficult, you know, as an as an as a young manager. But I trusted the staff to deliver. And my my paydays, if you like, were built up to the games and then the games. Training takes care of itself. Demands one hundred percent. You know, this is the thing that people we talk about football and footballers 24-7. So the moment the staff came in, before they'd even have the boots off, I'm obviously like, I've seen him walk in. What was he? What's on? You know, so again, face for them, face for the staff. We all ate together. We insisted on eating together. Banter was still flying. I was still, you know, me. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and it was, and, and, and I, there was a, there was a different flow to the training ground, John. So I was happier with the group and happier where I thought we were going as a club. But, you know, there were certain uh, things that we implemented within the club about, you know, the changing rooms, about the uh, physio room, about the gym, about timings, about individual action plans, about individual uh, analysis all changes to help develop the player and the growth mindset within the club. I was big into, you know, I was big into personal development. You know, the sweat boxes were built uh, to help first touch, to really get them focused on 
touch and movement and side on and half turn and you know one and two touch things you know so there, I was constantly trying to really bring players out normally players they want to come in they want to go home but I kept them in and said right well, well you know the game the game's the greatest teacher it doesn't lie so good bad or indifferent what's the game because there will be some things but regardless if you've played well or you've had a stinker there will be certain things in a game that you will use and then the latter stages of my playing career I used it a lot even things that I thought oh, you can't teach an old dog you know new tricks bunk them absolute bunk them you can and it was king you know this professional development continuous learning continuous learning so they were getting more of that they were getting more individual treatment some players take two days to recover after games others a day others don't want to miss training so we were trying to educate them always educating them and it was a it was a, it was a journey. I was hoping we were you know we were all, we were all going on. A, a year after you and Brian signed two year contracts, uh, John Gorman returns as assistant mm. manager, and, and Brian Clue he moves into a for most fans a pretty vague role of you know involvement with the academy and uh, and the youngsters. Uh, whose decision was this, and and what did John Gorman bring? It was my decision. It was my decision to, to move Brian back into that position because he's, he's one of the best development coaches I've ever been around in the game. And, you know, there was a major influence again on trying to bridge the gap between academy football and our uh, first team. So Brian had uh, great knowledge of that and he was going to assist Simon. So he was going to watch lots of games. I still would have taken Brian's opinion on opposition analysis. I would have still taken Brian's opinion on players within the football club and team selections. Just John, I'd had a working relationship with John over, say, a, a 10 or 15 year period. And John just had this wonderful way with players. And it wasn't a reflection on Brian. Everyone's different. Brian's way with, with, with players would have been totally different. And John just added that security and confidence and dealing with a lot of things that probably uh, I didn't have to deal with. And he was a fantastic buffer, a fantastic buffer between the first team change room and my office. So he, he headed people off at the past lots of times. He would have just said, listen, not a good time. Or let me deal with it. I'll go to the manager. And the amount of times that we've taken, if you like, pressure cooker situations and just eased it away and dealt with the, the individual or dealt with the group, he was... You know, it was a great working relationship and I had so much respect for him. As a fan from the outside, trying to work out the organisational structure when Brian Clue moved, did he still report to you or did he report to somebody else? Or Reported to me. And uh, obviously, that you know, there were always going to be conversations with Sam. There was always going to be conversations with Marcus. But Brian was never, you know, there was always this, again, speculation around it and it wasn't anything to do with that. And Brian... Uh, as I said, you had valued his opinion uh, on most things. On most things. In the FA Cup third round tie, tie at home at Chesterfield, we win three nil. But uh, a fifteen-year-old Connor Wickham makes his way onto the bench for the first time. What was he like as a prospect? Outstanding, outstanding. Both feet, physically, he was the closest thing that I'd ever seen to Whiteside. I saw Whiteside as a fifteen-year-old destroy Germany at Windsor Park, destroyed them. I saw this man come out and he was 15 years of age and he had this unbelievable left foot. 
Norman White said he was just an absolute Doreen. What a player. And I saw lots of tweets in Connor. Uh, and just Connor's willingness to listen, his willingness to learn. Uh, he was mentally years ahead. And I just really wanted the boy to get involved. And it was important that we again had that connection. That it wasn't a sympathy vote. It wasn't looking for uh, any praise. It was just I like the boy, and age was not a barrier for me. Did you think about sticking him on at any point? Yeah, I did. And then we did give him his debut. Uh, you did, yeah. Um, that was what Doncaster in in yeah. March. Yeah. One of the questions I want to ask you before we move yeah. on. Uh, you know, some people say, well. You know, we, we had Jordan Rhodes and we had Connor Wickham, and there's no way that uh, uh, you can have two young teenagers playing in the first team. Was that your kind of thought? No, I think that's bunkum too. I just think, uh, yeah, of course, there's there, you know, there's experience counts for a lot. Of course, it does. And you're coming up against centre halves who will be very physical, probably very vocal. But then, I them both them boys have proven, have gone on to prove that they can handle it. So, no, that wasn't, it was Jordan more than anything. It was about giving them game time, make him acknowledge uh, the, you know, the profession he was uh, in and also the toughest job in football scoring goals and to get him in a good position and get him back to us to score goals for us. The other fella just came along. And when you get a, when you get a boy like him, you want to show him off. You want people to see him. Not because it's this little praise thing, you know, like this gimmick. This kid was going to be a player. This kid was, you know, and he was going to play for Ipswich Town. There was no doubt in my mind he was going to play, as I expected Jordan to as well. On February the 16th, 2009, Town are 11th in the, in the table and the East Anglian Daily Times ran a campaign asking for you to be sacked. Do you think it's the responsibility of a local newspaper to be so partisan? No, I didn't. I still don't to this day. Uh, I thought it was abuse of power. I thought that uh, Terry was a, a season ticket holder. But being at the, being at the at, 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 a, a fan of the club from probably birth, so I think it was an abuse of power. I didn't think I thought it was on on call for. I don't think uh, it was needed. What was needed was a little bit more support, in my opinion. He forgets that you know I had two sons and a, and a wife. And it was as damning for them to read a front page cover. And then that other idiot pick over the night that night, run one as well. I thought it was, I, I was embarrassing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it happened. And again, I kind of dismissed it. And because, again, I was still in the job. I was so focused on the job. I was focused on Ipswich Town doing well. That was my own focus. I thought that that kind of way was a reflection of the journalist uh, as well at the time. And they were sniffing around things. They were searching for things. And there was nothing there. All sorts of stories were coming out. Nothing. Absolutely zero. Uh, because the, I had too much respect for the job and too much respect for myself to ever let anything like that get in the way. So, no, uh, I just didn't, you know, I thought it was on call for it was around that time that John Gorman then started taking the, the, the press conferences. Yeah. Can you explain the yeah. reason why? Ah, 
to, to annoy him more than anything, go on, John, you do it. <laughs> and probably just to annoy the journalists too. So having a bit of fun. Uh, but listen, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it's part of my job. And I saw it as a very serious part of my job. But it was just to get Gorman in their faces too and, and see how they reacted to John. Listen, John came through quite a bit when he was assistant manager to Glen Hoddle uh, for England. So John would have faced a few farrier uh, press conference than the ones I was throwing him into. In March, you bring in Giovanni Dos Santos on loan yeah. from, from Spurs. Um, the, the 19-year-old Mexican is, is, is up there definitely when we talk about the greatest loan players at Ipswich, yeah. apart from a, a central midfielder that joined from Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> as well. Um, how on earth did you, did you get this deal done? I conned the lame daylights clean out of them. <laughs> and Harry and as I just said we, we, we have a fantastic stadium we have a fantastic training ground fantastic pitches hopefully a fantastic group of players that you'll enjoy working with fans are passionate you're going to love it you'll play with a smile on your face because I'm going to let you take goal kicks corner kicks, free kicks uh, make the tea, eat sandwich do what, but we're going to get you the ball and and on a serious say, you know, I wanted someone who was going to put bums on seats again and get people actually gener generating that excitement because we're in the entertainment business. I wanted to entertain people. I, I always did. You don't win the amount of home games that we won if you're setting out a negative nine setting and players. Go and play. Go and play to the best of your ability. You've all got fantastic qualities out there and show it. Don't show it in here. Don't show it waiting training. Get out on the park and tell me, show the people what a good player you are. But more importantly, show yourself. So, DeSantos loved all that. And I meant that. I meant that from the bottom of my heart. So, we got him. And then, oof, go and play. Get him the ball. Try every chance you get, get him the ball. Because he's going he's gonna to light the place up. How, how did he stand out compared to the rest of your, your, your team, with all, with all due respect? No, listen, good players love playing with good players. And I, and I used to love it. You know, you know, the prospect when Finiti came, the prospect of playing with Finiti George, you know, was something oh, brilliant. When I played with Decanio and played with uh, Carboni and played with Des Walker and, you know, with Latez and they, they bring out, they motivate you. So I was hoping to use it as motivation. Listen, if you're playing with DeSantos, he is going to make you a good player. Get the ball into him because he very rarely gives the ball away. Low centre of gravity. Willow the whistle across the ground, quick with it as he is without it. Do you know? So all those sorts of aspects, I, I knew it would generate uh, positivity within the change room. It was a it was a great time. I mean, he, he scored scored four and eight appearances, and like I said, you know, uh, eleven years on is still fondly remembered for those eight yeah. appearances. Um, on the April April the eighth, uh, Mark Seven starts to rebuild his his executive structure within the club. Yeah. Uh, Derek Bowden announces that he'll be leaving at the end of yeah. the season. David Sheepshanks is going to uh, expect to move on from his non-executive position. Yeah. And this is the name that we suddenly hear that uh, Simon Clegg, the yeah. former chief of the British Olympic Association. Yeah. What's your gut feeling at, at, at this point? Major changes. I knew then uh, I would be facing uh, questions. I, I felt that. Uh, but again, I was very positive. I had the answers and knew that there was a sea change, knew that uh, Marcus wanted to bring his individuals into the football club, which is his divine mate. He was spending lots of money at the club 
and he wanted to make changes. As I wanted to make backroom changes, he felt the same way. So there was never an issue. The challenge I faced when I met Clegg was that uh, when I met him in London, I walked away knowing that he and I wouldn't be in a working relationship. And if he was bringing him in, meant then that I'd be facing difficult questions with Marcus. It was kind of way, you know, can I work with Simon? I'm sure 100% could have worked with Simon, but I never got that impression. I can work with anyone, but just that a feeling that he was sounding me out and I was sounding him out. Again, I'd done a, a background, background check on him. I had a dossier that thick on him. So we, we exchanged pleasantries. The meeting went pretty quickly. I outlined my thoughts and plans. He told me what Marcus' thoughts and plans were. He told me the type of person he was. See you later. Good luck. Bye. It was the last time I seen him. So in what turns out to be your, your last game in charge, 3-2 victory over Norwich at Portman yeah. Road, which is also the last time that Ipswich have beaten, <coughs> beaten Norwich. Right. Uh, Simon Clegg arrives on the 21st of April. Yeah. And on the 22nd of April, you're no longer Ipswich Town Manager. Yeah. Can you, can you take us through from the Norwich game, winning, you know, yeah. the start of the Norwich game through to being told that actually yeah. you're out of a job? Yeah, uh, they score early. I think they score in the first couple of minutes. Then they start, their, their fans are uh, getting naughty, sack in the morning, of which a, a section of our fans were clapping, which didn't go down well with me. Uh, but again, the nature of the beast, more focused on the players. Players were brilliant, responded brilliantly in the game, battered them. We footballed them to death. And I, in my opinion, we had created so many chances too in the game. They scored first minute and last minute, I think. And in between that, we had created many, many chances. I thought we played well on the day. Uh, and I felt we deserved to win the game. And that was kind of way where we were at. Um, I, I do know, subsequently, Ian Milne had said something to Charlie, saying, oh, that was a poor performance. And Charlie ate him alive. So, I'll show you what Ian Milne knows. Uh, but, uh and I would have acknowledged Brian Gunn was brilliant after the game as well. Fantastic after the game. Said played well. You know, you 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 really can see, you know, things are going to happen here. Blah blah. Very positive. Yeah, and it's very it's difficult in, in that sort of situation. But Gunny was top man, and I always respected him for it. After because uh, he he actually messaged me after culminating in forty eight hours or seventy two hours later. The thing was, we the the Sunday was grand. It was a relief obviously, to win the game, but I always felt we had enough to win the game. Got the staff together, we had a couple of beers in the in the, uh, in the office, everybody went their separate ways, and then on the Monday, it was, uh, there was a game at Barry St. Edmunds, reserve game, or a game, and a few of the lads were going to play, and also Monday night was the end of season two. So, I was travelling with Steve Foley and John to watch the game, right, so you never switch off, going to watch the game. I got a phone call, my dad rings me, and says, listen, your mum just been issued the last rights, basically. So you need to get home if you can. So get yourself home. So I, I kind of stopped the car and said to the guy, John, was get your backside to Belfast as quickly as you can. John, my dad, he says, get there. You'll regret it for the rest of your days. Steve was exactly the same. Both of them were fantastic. I, don't, I, I may have had my passport in the, in the briefcase or whatever. So I went with the clothes on and, and they drove me to... Don't worry about the game. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about any. Just go. So I went to the, so I went to the airport, managed to get on the first flight, straight to the hospital. 
mum's on in intensive care. So I might shattered. So the, the elation of 24 hours to reality dates. So I'm going, but in the meantime, I'm trying to ring Clegg, I'm trying to ring Baxter, and they've gone missing. Liam Neeson couldn't get them. So, uh, so continues try. Then John rang me, I said, how'd it go? He says, don't worry about it. He says, but it was weird. Definitely something going on, Jim. So I went, right, what's going on? And I couldn't get hold of Piercy either, and Piercy's always been a great, great friend of mine. And I couldn't get hold of anyone. And uh, so that was a Monday. And then on the Tuesday, was it the Monday? I Tuesday, I'm obviously doing bedside vigil all day. John's checking in with me, uh, asking for feedback. And he says, no, but it's strange. Something's going on. Right, okay. I haven't been able to get Baxter. I haven't been able to get Clegg. I haven't heard from Marcus, even after the game. So Tuesday night, I'm in my dad's. Mum's still in hospital. Phone call, 10 o'clock. Uh, Marcus, I uh, need to speak to you Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock. I said, right, okay, no problem. Uh, and then he, I, and then I said to him, uh, yeah, my mum's okay, by the way. Well, she wasn't. And he kind of like rejected him and he, oh, Jim, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, Marcus, dead on. I'll speak to you in the morning. 10 o'clock, we're at the hospital. On the dot, Sean. Boom. Jim, uh, moving forward, uh, I'm going to have a change. Words to that effect. And, you know, we're going to do this. I want to thank you for your time. Can we negotiate the deal now? I'm standing outside hospital and intensive care. My mum's on a life support and you want to talk about a deal. It's not going to happen. Okay? It's not going to happen. Well, can we say mutual consent? Marcus, I'm not even in a fit state to even be talking to you. So please get off the phone before you say, definitely say something that you'll regret, or maybe you won't. So I can't wait, done. That was my life at Ipswich over in that. But the reality again, living in Northern Ireland, was uh, my dad and I told my dad, he couldn't believe it. And, and then it came up, Sky Sports, Jim and Jilton sacked at Ipswich Town. So there's, there's an old boy sitting opposite me, Sean, you'll love this, right? And he's eating. And he's looking up and there's a picture of me and I'm, I'm looking over at him and he's looking at me and he goes, and we're at a hospital, like, you know what I mean? And you know what it's like? And he goes, you've had a shitty day, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was hilarious. I was killing myself laughing. My dad just nearly fell off the seat. It's just typical here, you know. But listen, that night wasn't a good night, I have to say, uh, for the, you know, my mom more than anything. But, Anyway, 11 years, 10, 11 years of your life, and then a three-minute call, done. And then, sorry, that afternoon, obviously, it's the unveiling of Roy. Uh, the chairman was brilliant. David gave me a heads-up prior to it. Roy Keane's got the job. I'm sorry the way it's done. Oh, Terry Baxter rang me, and, oh, he got it. He got it. Double-barreled. And again, Terry was the messenger. You know, he couldn't. But I'd known him, what, 10 years, 11 years. Always had a relationship with Terry, and he couldn't find time just to let me know. So, kind of way, I think that was the last time I'd ever spoken to Terry before and since. So, that's the kind of way how it was dealt. It wasn't, and it wasn't dealt with. It wasn't dealt with in any way, shape, or form that reflects that football club because that football club always had class, and it was classless, and that was disappointing. But again, it was the same in the times. And as I say, I always had a great relationship with Marcus up until that point. You know, at that point, I think. 
could he take it back? Would he have done it differently? He may have. Again, it's not a question I've asked him. It's not a question I would ask him. But kind of the rush job for Roy to get in, Roy to get in a couple of games, get a feel of the place, right? That's and he wasn't to know that my mum wasn't wasn't well. Do you know that was just life? And sometimes life gets in the way of things. But I think they could have dealt with it better. But I have no regrets, you know, and I've no there's no sour grapes over it. I think uh, you know, that feeling, you know, I've lost both my parents now. And they were extremely proud of my life at Ipswich Town and what I, uh, and my career, uh, not only at Ipswich, but my career. So there was no, there's no ill feeling towards it, Stevie. You know, this club and what you've done and you've, you know, what you've done and talked me through it, you deserve so much credit for that. I'll always be very appreciative of what you've done for me in this because this has been a great reflection for me. This is the first time I've spoken about it since I left and, and, and the outpouring and the generosity from fans have been staggering. It's been, you know, so uh, I've been so gracious, so 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 very very kind, and uh, very grateful for it. I think I, I speak on behalf of all the fans, whether they were Jim in or Jim out at the end, that we would kind of apologise about how you were how you were treated at, at the end, because it certainly wasn't the the, the Ipswich way. Um, there were only two games left of the season. Surely they could have given you those two games. You know, what what was Roy going to assess in, in in two games? I have no idea, you know, Marcus, yeah, you need to ask Marcus. Maybe it was just to get a feel for the place. Maybe it was just to get, it was sending out a message. It was definitely clear saying to send out a message to the championship. We've got Roy Keane in. And Roy Keane, uh, in his first managerial job, got Sunderland into the promised land. And that was a clear message to everybody that Roy Keane was here to deliver on the promises that Marcus had made. I, that's the message I got from him. That's what I took from him. What support did you get from your former teammates or current managers when the, the news broke? I think a lot rang, and I just kind of went switched off. Mick, Mick McCarthy rang me, wished me all the best uh, when he found out kind of way what happened. Uh, thought it was a bit premature, you know, but uh, other managers left messages, kind messages. Lots of players left kind messages. But uh, listen, I, don't, I wasn't wallowing self-pity. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't looking for... Uh, I was really just upset that my mum wasn't well. And you have to deal with that, because that's reality. I didn't want to lose my mum. Do you know what I mean? I can lose a football job. I can lose jobs. But I didn't want to lose my mum. Sean, do you know what I mean? So my focus was on my mum and making sure she could pull through this. And she did pull through it. She fought through it. And she passed later on uh, in the year. Uh, but she fought and she got through it. And that, that, that was all that mattered to me. All that mattered to me. So, Roy Keane, the one that you were both, you know, going at each other and when he was on the, on the telephone in his car. So, you're watching from afar. What, what was your view about, you know, Roy Keane when he was named as, as your successor? And, and in particular, the rebranding of Ipswich Town Football Club to Roy Keane's Ipswich Town. Yeah, listen, that, you can't deny it doesn't pinch. Of course, it pinches, you know, and because you were in the process of, of building and I'm a builder. I like I like that thought. I like being in the process of making good things happen and being a part of it and it's living and breathing and everyone is in it and they're all developing uh, at different rates, but we're all developing, we're all part of this plan. So uh, so for him to take over the reins, listen, it is the nature of the base that's you know, managers get sacked all the time and a new manager comes in. It's all the bunkum that you hear around that. Oh, training's different. There's a different this. There's a bunkum. As I said before, it's you as a pro. 
if you want to be a better player, you should train like that all the time. You don't wait for a new manager to come in to elevate yourself to new levels. That's bunkum. That shows you again the flaws in their character. So I heard an awful lot. I heard backs players and you know, I tend to try to switch off from it. I heard a bunkum from backs players, some chirping up, some standing outside the ground. Listen, it it was water off a duck's back again. I had relocating, I had to get the house sold, I had to do this. So there was a lot of life things uh, needed to happen and uh, important things. But I wanted to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't getting away, hiding away, just, you know, it's life. And, and again, what did I learn? It was an incredible learning experience. For an act player, you could take the manager's job at Ipswich Town, football club, a club that you love is huge. And it had a huge impact on me, but it was a great learning curve for me and in, in for the years uh, thereafter. So you saw, I assume, you know, as fans, you often hear players and managers say, oh, you know, one of the first results I look at when I, yeah. when I come in at full time. Do you still, you know, keep yeah. an eye on the town? Yeah. And a spell where I wasn't really interested in anything, basically, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I definitely do, you know, and, and uh, listen, the plight of the club since, you know, in terms of, you know, a League One club is mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me. But again, that's the current. It's the current climate. It's maybe the current group. It's just mind-boggling to me to think that we were always competitive in the Championship, looking to play in the Premier League, to play in the Premier League, to get relegated, but to be competitive again. For me, the club is uh, has a massive standing in the game and should not be in there. And Paul has a big job, but Paul again has a proven record, and uh, and given time and the, and the right quality who knows yeah it's it's it's, it's a it's a tricky one and um I don't, i'm not asking you to, to point fingers but obviously when when you took over in 2006 it was um you know not that long after we had two playoff uh matches against against west ham we've recently come down from the premier league and now as you say we, we find ourselves in league one and why how why do you think that's happened I don't know. It's a mindset. It must be a mindset uh, of players. It must be. It can't be anything else because, as I've said and gone on record, you look at the, the, the managers that he's employed, they've all got a proven track record so uh, of, of promotions and of quality. So it's, it's, it's the player. It comes down to the player. Maybe it's the manager motivating the player. I don't know because I'm, I'm not on... I'm not on side, and I don't see you see them every week. You'll have a, a better understanding of that, and you're probably more astute in terms of what you've seen uh, and given a, an answer. I just, for me, uh, it it it's it's quite scary, but it's happened in the past because it's happened to elites. It's happened to Sheffield United, and it's it's incredible how momentum the opposite way, you know, momentum that way is fantastic. Momentum the other way, it's so difficult to stop, you know, and, and this mindset of not winning games and not, you know, or not having the confidence maybe to play or, you know, it, once it sets in with players, it's very hard to, to shake. And I don't know what's happened to the club in terms of that, uh, because, in, as I say, in my opinion, the club should not be in, in League One. So last, last question, Jim, thank you for your time. Um, which era was easier to manage in? Pre or post Evans? Uh, listen, I, I I enjoyed both immensely. I have to say, I enjoyed both, but I'm always going to be indebted to the chairman, David Sheepshanks, and uh, Derek Bowden, and and the and the wonderful 
board. They had such belief in me. They gave me such confidence. They and respect. You know, I respected them uh, so much because they, it was a leap of faith, a real leap of faith. And they trusted me with their football club. All of them were season ticket. All of them were just time to have. They trusted me with their football club. And I took that as an absolute honour, you know, to this day. So being appointed manager of this club on the back of uh, successful people, successful businessmen handed me that responsibility, will live with me for the rest of my days. Do you know, and I enjoyed it immensely. I enjoyed the, uh, the, the conversations I had with Marcus. With a lot of respect for Marcus, a lot of time for Marcus. You know, what he has given the football club, where he has taken the club, he has spent a lot of money. So you have to respect that. He wants the club to be in the Premier League. Now, whether he has the same ambition as he had when he first came in, only, again, you can answer that. I'm not on side. I don't know. I don't get the vibe. But certainly, I want this club to be successful. I want this club to be successful so badly. So uh, we're all on the same page here. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, I just want to say uh, it's not just me sitting here um, coming up with the questions. I'd like to thank the, the Blue Monday podcast as well. There's a n- number of people who are who have helped and supported me. I'd also like to thank Craig Bannister. Um, oh, I? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Craig, it was, he was one of your scouts. Um, he was. And I, I sniffed that out a little while ago on, on Twitter yeah. about three years ago. And I, I started sort of bombarding him with DMs saying that I'd really like to interview Jim. And I'd like to thank Craig for, for encouraging me to, to kind yeah. of keep pestering you. But, uh, you know, I have to end with saying thank you, Jim. Thank you for the time as, as player and, and manager you gave us. Many, many happy memories, you know, some good, some bad, but there are memories that will, that will stick with us. Um, we wish you all the very best in your, your next stage of the career. And if, if, you, um, if you're successful in getting the top job at the IFA, we'd all love to come over and see you um, when you, you lead the, the team out. So best of luck. And Sean, good luck. brilliant. I will be over, Sean. I will definitely be over. You and I will have a paint and we'll enjoy the game. And uh, no, listen, thank you. It's been, it's been terrific. I've really, really enjoyed it. It's given me a real insight into me uh, and I don't often reflect in that way so and thank you to the, the many of his fans that have been so gracious it's just been a terrific terrific few weeks and I can't thank you enough thank you It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.